0: Hello, and you're very welcome to The Week That Really Was with John McGurk and Sarah Ryan for this week ending the 1st of March. It's very funny to have a week ending with the 1st of March, but we do. Um, Sarah, how are you? I'm
1: fine. We got some complaints about our audio last week, so we are endeavouring to have better audio this week, aren't we, John?
0: We are indeed trying to be more audible, and if you can't hear us, please let us know, and uh, we will take further steps to fix it. Sarah and I, for those of you who don't know, we're, we're not only in separate rooms, but actually separate counties recording this every week, so... Sometimes it can be reliant a little bit on the quality of the internet connection, which should be decent. So we apologise to those people who found us a little bit hard to hear last week, and we hope it's a lot better this week. Anyway, how are you? What caught your eye this week? Um, how have you been?
1: i Um I um It was a quiet enough news week, but there was a few kind of like lots of little things. Do you know what I mean? And then the referendum rumbles on. Um, I saw Lawyers for No uh, was launched yesterday. Um, that was that's positive. I think the now side is getting a bit of momentum. Um,
0: well, that's not necessarily what the opinion polls say. Hmm. But we'll talk about that in a little while because I I, 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 if you don't mind, I wanted to start the show by talking about something else. And again, you're right. loads of little things happened this week. But I thought one little thing that was quite significant was the attack on Carol Nolan's office. Um, mm-hmm. Carol Nolan, of course, for listeners may know, but if you don't, she's an independent TD for. Um, I was going to say Leash awfully, but is that constituency just Awfully these days? Anyway she's from that part of the country and a uh, very good independent ED and her office was vandalised during the week. Um, what did you make of that?
1: Well I suppose what I make of it is that it's interesting how little attention it got. That, that's the thing I, I noticed because I feel like if Carl Nolan was on you know on it, it, part of the, the um,
0: If she uh, was Holly Kearns for example.
1: Exactly. I was going to say if she was part of the circle jerk of madness that is Leinster House, ah, uh, popular gang, uh, it would have been front page news across some, a number of, uh, papers. I'm sure, and and she would have been interviewed, and um, you know, everybody would have been horrified and appalled and clutching at their
0: yeah, I, I know-
1: or whatever. But um, oh, so I noted how little attention it got. Um, that's what I noticed, and it's it's more of the same stuff, isn't it?
0: That she's not on the right side of anything, so she's not as important. I mentioned Holly Kearns specifically because we actually have, like, it's not It's not a hypothetical. There would be loads of different coverage if it was Holly Kearns. There actually was, a couple of weeks ago, Holly Kearns announced that she'd closed her office and wasn't going to take constituency clinics in her constituency because of perceived threat to her safety. And that got blanket coverage. That was everywhere. That was the end of women in politics. That was, uh, you know, a, another example of, part of the male dominated patriarchy we live in where women don't feel safe. And then, There's an actual physical attack on a TD's office and barely anybody notices it. Doesn't doesn't register, doesn't mention, doesn't merit a sort of condemnation from the head of government or anything like that. I thought it was, it was another little insight, as you say, into the fact that there is a cool gang in the country and there is a not-so-cool gang in the country and if you're in the not-so-cool gang, the rules that apply to everybody else don't apply to you. Is that a fair summary or am I being harsh? Uh,
1: Absolutely. And I think that as well, like that applies... What's even more irritating about that is that that applies, you know, on things that are supposedly, um, at the forefront of the you know woke agenda, which is women and women in politics. Even when it's a woman in politics, it doesn't matter mm. if she's not the right kind of woman. Do you know what I mean? It goes to the point I've made before, which is we always hear about
0: women in politics, you never
1: hear much about Margaret Thatcher, though. It's weird, isn't it?
0: Oh yeah, I know. Well, she wasn't a real woman, of course. Yeah, she wasn't really. Yeah,
1: you never hear anything about Mary Hannafin or Mary Harney. Yeah, they're not the right kind. You know what I mean? Um, or, or, or even,
0: even going back further than that, Morag and Quinn. Yeah. Um. Or or various people before that. You, you know, being a woman in politics means being a progressive woman in politics. That's what they mean by it. And I thought it was really interesting to compare the reaction to the attack on Carol Nolan's office to the topic we were going to talk about in relation to the National Women's Council of Ireland and One Family getting loads of press coverage and ministerial sympathy from Radical Gorman for turning off replies on their social media because some of the referendum coverage has been some of the referendum interactions they've been getting have been a little bit too mean. Um, hmm. so like there's a there's a there's a contrast there, but first of all, what, what did you make of that?
1: Well, as I tweeted and uh, I wink, wink, big girls, turns out big girls do cry. Um, <laughs> it's like, first of all, you're supposed to represent everyone, and 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 turning off comments during a referendum. I don't think that's appropriate, um, at all. Um, but at the same time, are you surprised? I'm not. National Women's Council of Ireland is the council for women who agree with us and support us, and nobody else. So they should just change their name and become a book club, um, of muppets who sit around tell each other that they're wonderful. And, you know, actually don't address any issue ever that affects women's day to day lives in any meaningful way. And, um, you know, they're they're pro men and women's changing rooms. They're pro men and women's sports. And they've been they 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 fell. They've the, the organization has fallen years ago. It's a joke. It's a joke to most women that I know that I speak to. And it's it's just adding further hilarity to the situation. That pardon the pun, they don't even have the balls to keep their comments on their stuff online. Well, you know,
0: I hate playing. I hate playing. I kind of hate playing the conservatives are the real victims game, because we're all big boys and girls. But in this case, it, it's almost necessary to play it because if you compare the replies that the Nwci or one family get to their very bland. You know, cookie cutter statements to the kind of stuff that say my former podcast co-host, before you sway, be replaced him, David Quinn, gets in response mm-hmm. to his columns every week. Or yeah. and 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 I, I certainly don't want to to say that I you know make myself the victim because mostly they bounce off me. But the kind of stuff that I get every week, um, or the kind of stuff, I mean, the kind of stuff that my colleague Fatima Gunning, who is a young woman making a career for herself in journalism, the kind of abuse she gets. And then to have the National Women's Council Ireland do, all oh, poor me, poor me because people have questioned their funding. I mean, come, on, I mean, who are you kidding? Me? And, and by the way, these people are supposed to be an example for women in public life. You know, you you run away when the going gets tough. You whinge, you moan,
1: but also bloody sure we're going to question your funding. Why shouldn't we question your funding? We're paying for it. Mm-hmm. I, as a taxpayer, are paying for this nonsense organisation to run a, a, a campaign that, you know, well, like, I'm very much in favour of there being an investigation after this referendum about whether they're in breach of the McKenna judgment and all of this kind of, where they're not supposed to use state funds to, to run a campaign. Am I correct?
0: Well, the state is not supposed to use state funds. But they fund are the state. Well, that's, that's that's the issue, isn't it? So, yeah. Is an organisation that is 95% fund- funded by the state the state, and is the, the fact that taxpayer funding is going to this organisation and that money is then being spent on campaigning, does that count as state funding? Now, that is the kind of thing that probably requires another judicial ruling, but common sense, I think, would have most people answer that question with a firm yes. But um, so,
1: but, but the point is that like there are questions to be asked and, you know the fact that they turn off i i i see them turning off their comments as and i see and i feel this way when rte do it when newspapers do whatever it is just a form of contempt for the average person um that that they don't really they don't feel answerable they don't feel like you know they should be exposed to us you know the great unwashed they're a part of a cabal of 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 you know people who agree with with them and like them and they meet in Leinster House and they all talk about you know how great and wonderful and progressive they all are and the amazing things they're doing to save Ireland and they don't have to hear from you know unwashed conservatives and people like me and i'm sure they do by the way get some abusive comments but like so what so does everyone and there are they're not a they're they're an organization like they're not it's not even like one person hmm.
0: You know, the thing about it is that, that like, and I, 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 I said this at the GRIPT event last November that we held in the RDS, and, and, I, and it's, it's a theme that I have because I think it's the most true thing about Irish politics. And I saw another example of this today in that the government is now proposing a new law to put a cap on the amount of money that you can win in a local GAA club lotto because they think there's too much gambling going on in the country they want to cap the prizes at three grand. But oh, it's... Yeah, it's right across the it's right across the board. The people in positions of power in the country, in the doll and a lot of these NGOs, they just fundamentally don't like the rest of us. Like yeah. it, it is, it is. You drink too much. You eat too much. You, you um, say the wrong things. You think the wrong things. You send us mean replies on social media. You gamble too much. You drive the wrong cars. You don't recycle enough. We're going to make you take your bottles to the to the supermarket and put them in a machine to make sure that you're doing your recycling right, you imbeciles. Like, it's a constant theme. I mean, the, it, we, it's, like, it's like being given a camp, you're constantly told you must improve yourself by a troop of baboons. That's what living in this country is like. You, you, you're constantly being told that you must be better And then you look at who's telling you you must be better and it's Roderick O'Gorman and Norma Foley and, uh, you know, Moonshaw, Hall Martin. And you just say, are we through the looking glass? And then then you've got the likes of Orla O'Connor who is literally the world's least impressive woman. Think, oh, I can't be bothered listening to replies from the the, the plebs because they're too mean to me. Oh, good heavens. I I don't normally get angry on this podcast. I'm not even angry. I'm just filled with... uh, When there's this level of contempt... Sent towards the public, it is only fair to direct that contempt back in the direction from whence it has come, um, and yeah. that's what it is. It is contempt for the public, and it should be met, I believe, with contempt from the public for these people in return.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. But I, I mean, luckily, you know, it's it's if it was a if it was a relationship, it would be a toxic relationship because, as you say, they think the public is X, Y, and Z. We're too fat. We're too stupid. Whatever. But luckily, the feeling is mutual because I think the National Women's Council of Ireland is a joke full of absolute muppets who don't care about anything but themselves. who have a completely flawed view of what Ireland should be like, of what it's like to be a woman in Ireland, have absolutely no intention or concern about protecting the privacy, security or 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 um, career of any sportswoman or woman in Ireland. And it's a joke. It's an absolute joke. And um, like, you know, I'd be I'd sooner ask Mark Mike Tyson for relationship advice than I would ask the National Women's Council of Ireland to do anything for me.
0: Well, I think Mike's sort of reformed now, isn't he? I, I don't know. I don't follow it. But
1: I don't either. But I, I just, guess. you know, uh, like it's, 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 fair, it's, it's, fair, it's fair to it's say an you, example you I draw on from to- uh, often as in like that the idea that the National Women's Council of Ireland has anything to offer me or my life when they're happy for a, man, a biological man to be in the changing room with me and my daughter. They're happy for biological males to participate in women's sports and they're happy for biological males to be in prisons with women. If that's what they actually think and it is, well, then they're a joke, an absolute joke and of no service to women and they should be disbanded immediately.
0: Yeah, that's, that's perfectly fair. But the polls suggest they're going to win on this question. I mean, I hate to be the bearer of bad news and I wrote a piece about this on Monday and I, I find it, sometimes when you write stuff, particularly for grip, because I, I recognise, you know, I'm not an idiot. I recognise that our audience, by and large, comes from a particular point of view and they come to us for a point of view that they're not getting anywhere else. because Because yeah. they, they feel like we will at least represent their voice. But sometimes, if I could be mildly critical of our audience, they, it, sometimes they kind of feel like if you give them... Bad news that you must be on the other side. No, I just believe in being realistic. And the Red Sea opinion poll in the Sunday Times at the weekend um, suggested that these referendums are on course to pass and pass comfortably. Now polls can be wrong, but that's what they suggested. Uh, they suggested that uh, you know it, it's it's about four to one in terms of people committed to voting yes versus people committing committed to voting no. And they suggested that that half the population believe that the woman in the home clause, for example, is sexist which is a really difficult place for a a no campaign to start because I see these people, very well-intentioned people out there saying things like keep Manaw in the law and don't delete women from the Constitution. Well, the problem is you lost that argument or you may have lost that argument long before this campaign started when half the people already believe the nonsense, but, but they believe it, that the Constitution is inherently sexist against women. So what? What? What are you? I'm a natural pessimist because I have spent my life. I've grown up in this Ireland that's becoming more liberal and more progressive. Basically, since I turned eighteen, feels like like my coming into adult, adulthood cursed the country is becoming more and more liberal, and I'm used to lo- so used to losing that I'm an in- intrinsic pessimist. Do you think I'm being too pessimistic this time? Do you think the polls might be wrong? I
1: think there's a few things at play. I mean, I think that you know we're were I'd be I have a different view on the two different referenda so I think that the women in the home one is probably lost. I think that the um durable relationships is still in play. Hmm. Um, I think that a few things there, I think 100% of people answered the poll and not 100% of people show up for referendums. So I think that the no side are probably more motivated for this one. There's not a good story about why to vote yes for either. Marginally better story. Yeah, take sexist language out of the constitution. Okay, fine. But I think that there's not a good story as to why to vote yes on the durable relationships one at all. I think there's a, a building momentum behind no there um, because... There is an inability to answer legitimate questions like the one we discussed on the podcast last week around durable relationships for people who are widowed and have children and don't and choose not to get married and a hundred other different things. And I think that the likes of Sinead, Ryan and people like that coming out for a no vote. It's starting to just, it's just, people have all kinds of complicated lives. They have all kinds of, you know, situations. If a spouse dies in separation, in divorce, whatever. And, you know, Thomas Byrne and different people coming out for the government and not being able to actually answer that at all. Not even, not even answering it ineffectively or inadequately. They're not able to answer it at all uh, is doing massive damage. So I think the second one is still in play. But I think Unfortunately, what we're up against is that, yeah, like that the sexist language. But there's also just a cabal of kind of people in Ireland who are, you know, and like come at me if you want. But like, just a bit childish. Like, I, I see people being like, "Well, if David Quinn's voting no, that's enough for me."
0: Like, Why did those people ever say if if Breed Smith is voting yes, that's enough for me? I mean, it's not as if the yes side is littered with 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 glittering, you know, examples of you know, civility and yeah, probity and intelligence. It's just but it's like
1: it's, it, it, it's, it's actually great. I love when people write stuff like that because it's a really easy way for me to filter out the dum-dums. Because, like, I just think that you're really thick. If, that, if you feel the need to write that on Twitter, that you're not voting because it, like call it what it is. You're too lazy. You're too lazy to do the work. Look it up, figure out what it's about and then decide for yourself. So you just base your opinion on something cool that you said because you think someone uncool is voting somewhere because you're too lazy. So actually you're a moron. And thanks for letting us all know that glaringly obvious statement.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I um I mean I I, I first of all, like and I, I write this regularly, so I'm not saying anything at all, but like that's a new. But like the biggest problem in Ireland is the voters. Mm. Like and I I I know that I sound like that old cliche of like, you know, dissolve the electorate and elect a new one you know, all the problems we have in this country, um, if you don't like I mean, uh, there was a great example of that this week in housing, which I'll come to in a second. But like, the problems are being caused by the the choices that the electorate is making. I mean, the, the, the electorate, uh, for example, on housing at the last election made very clear that they wanted many more restrictions on landlords. They wanted they wanted uh, rental restriction zones. They wanted you know, eviction bans. They wanted all those sort of things. And then lo and behold, this week, we get the entirely predictable situation where it's now the case that there are 18,000 houses in Ireland available on Airbnb, as opposed to only 2,000 available on DAFT. So landlords have simply moved from offering accommodation to families on a long-term basis to offering it to American tourists on a short-term basis, even though that's more work because they've got to clean the apartment or the house every couple of weeks and get it all ready for the new crowd but because there's less regulation and less hassle with it. And by the way, the government has helped them out by blocking up all the hotels with people from other countries. So you, you, it's the policy. It's, it's, there's a direct connection between the things you vote for and the outcomes of, yeah. that you don't like. A direct connection. And yet and all, and the, I, I know some of them, there are some of them in my own family, there are these people who who kind of regard politics as a sport and, you know, they've always been on Team Green or Team Blue or now with Sinn Féin, Team Very Dark Green. And that's just how they vote. And they still reserve the right to complain. Um, and, you know, you, guess you get the democracy you vote for uh, at the end of the day. And all of those of us who commentate on it or indeed stand for election can do is say to people, you get the democracy you vote for. And then they persist on voting for it anyway. So what can you do? Yeah. Uh, well, I
1: mean... I don't disagree with anything you said there. It's the same principle with the people who vote for, you know, local authority, like Dublin City Council. And they vote for somebody because, you know, they were, you know, something, I don't know, a footballer or something. And then they wonder why the whole city has gone to shite.
0: Jason O'Mahony has, uh, who's our friend, and we often reference him on this podcast. He's always had this theory that, the, you know, every county. Have should you ever have asked
1: a... him if he wants to be outed as being our friend, John?
0: But he's been on this show before. So, okay, it's sure. kind of you know, it's sure. it's too sure. late now. and plus, I kind of enjoy the flack he takes. I mean, I, you know, I actually sometimes get flack for for when I share his stuff. if it's kind of moderate or centristy or liberal, I get flack for sharing it. but it's always intelligently written, so I'm in, in favor of, of doing that. but I, I do enjoy the flack he takes for 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 being sure, you on, and I, on I have it
1: been, as well. you and I have been friends for years, and we've you know had. Uh, nights out and dinners and different things. People would be shocked at the the Liberals who who hang out with us. They We're weren't. able to hang out with people we don't agree with.
0: We are. And then the ones who secretly tell us that they agree. That's always my favourite bit. But they, they couldn't possibly say so in public. Um, but anyway, Jason has this idea that every county should have its own elected mayor not because people would vote for really good people, but because he thinks it might help the voters learn the consequences of voting really bad people. Like, mm-hmm. elect Richard Boyd Barrett as the mayor of South Dublin and let him implement his programme on a local level and see how it works. Um, make
1: uh, Connor McGreg- McGregor the mayor of Dublin
0: City. Do it. And, and you know what? And to be fair, some, some of his ideas might work very well and others, I promise you, might be utterly disastrous. But, it, you know, it would be a very interesting thing to do. Elect some GAA guy as the, the mayor, a uh, hurler as mayor of Limerick County, and then elect somebody as mayor of Donegal who who turns out to be brilliant. Um, it might actually improve the lot of the country an awful lot and, and improve the connection between voting and outcomes that I think a lot of Irish people just don't put in their head because they think running the country is somebody else's job and their local politician's job is to get the medical cards and get a grant for local GAA club. And I'm sorry if that sounds snobbish, but too many of you think like that when you're voting. Yeah, That's- and
1: vote based on who came, you know, to the the funeral. You know what I mean, or, or as opposed to like I remember in um, in 2010, maybe um, there was a Fianna Fáil TD I won't name who was canvassing in. Um, I can't oh uh, yeah, so somewhere affluent in Dublin um, and uh, he was canvassing at like ch- on a Tuesday at like let's say midday and he knocked on a door and this uh, a man architect of the door. and the story goes I wasn't there that the architect went absolutely ballistic. At him for cam he was like, what are you doing here? It's midday on a Tuesday. You should be in Leinster House trying to fix this country. And here you are knocking on doors. I will never vote for you now because of this. You're just looking out for your blah 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 blah. And it was like I remember hearing this and being kind of on some level kind of happy that some that people were making the connection between the fact that these this put that the politician had a job to do that wasn't just knocking on your door and asking you, did you need a medical card? Yeah, yep. Um, like that, that that obviously the country was in absolute crisis at the time, but that the that, that people were really like making that link. Now, I, I mean, some people always have made that link, and some people never will. You know, I get that, but you know, there is a disconnect there for people sometimes, and they need to think about it. And the the you know the stepping stone to doing that is not. Vote, not bothering to read things and voting the way the people you don't like vote. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I think those canvassing rules are very funny, though. Um, like it used to be used to be the one that you never canvassed during Fair City, and you certainly never canvassed on a Champions League night um, if people were watching the match, um, because they just wouldn't appreciate that. And you know, voters don't like being disturbed during Coronation Street or Fair City or the match or whatever. Which leaves very few hours where you actually can knock on doors.
1: Um, And we were always told not after 9 o'clock and now that I have kids my kids are long gone to bed at 9 o'clock like I go ballistic if someone knocked on my door a quarter to 9
0: yeah
1: well I wouldn't go I wouldn't actually go ballistic at all in fairness I'm always super nice to canvassers because I feel like once you've canvassed you know what I mean like I'm never mean um, or rude like when I think back now on canvassing in, in the past like some people were really 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 obnoxious
0: Oh, they were. They were. And, and and because, and I think once you've done it, as we've both done it, both as a candidate and, and on behalf of other people, you mm. really get, a, you really get, you're never mean to canvassers from other parties again. Now, I have to say that I've lived in my current home for seven years and I've had exactly one politician call to my door in that time. And it was the local Labour Party councillor in 2019, ahead of the last local elections. The only one to have knocked on my door, or even dropped a leaflet in. Now I am in a fairly remote rural area, but still, and my confession is my dark, filthy confession. Like it, it meant a lot that she came, and she didn't get a first preference, but she got a lot higher preference than the Labour Party would usually get because she came and knocked on my door, and seemed a perfectly nice person. Um, so so it, it,
1: here you are again with your number I gave her a number 7 Bigged. no
0: no no it was higher than that I think it might, yeah. e- it might even have been a number 3 but anyway um,
1: well I live in Malahide and I have to say I've had everyone knock on my door except Sinn
0: Féin well I can't imagine Sinn Féin does particularly well in the part of Malahide that you live in and I'll say no more than that but...
1: I know but I'd like them to come I'd like <laughs> I want them to come I, please please come and I still wouldn't be mean. Like, in fairness, like I probably have a bit of crack with them, mm. but um, I'm never like I'm never mean to canvassers. And I think back now, and especially around two thousand and eleven, like I canvassed um for Dara O'Brien in two thousand and eleven, and you know Dara subsequently lost his seat in that election, as did everyone in Fianna Fáil in Dublin, except for Brian Lennon, and um. It was bad. (laughs) I often wonder, did some of those people think back on their behaviour and think I might have been a bit over the top there?
0: Well, some of it's performative too. Some of it is because they want to go down to the pub and tell all their mates that all the things they said to this politician who knocked on their door. And I want to say to any, because we have people listening to this who are maybe thinking of running as independents in the election or, you know, are getting involved in politics for the first time, never be put off by the person who roars in your face on the door. Because it is ninety percent performative, I think it's about it's about telling their mates that they got that person either from like from Fianna Fáil who they hate, or you know from the inverted commas far right who they hate, or from whoever it is who they and they and they they get them a piece of their mind, you know, and it's 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 not actually about you, so don't take it personally at all. Just like answer them with a smile and say I'll put you down for number three then and move on. And like that's that's the way to to deal with them, I think. Um,
1: yeah, but also if you're a person who is expecting canvassers on the door, like really think about how reg- even if you don't agree with them, even if they're a party, completely, you know what I mean. Like you know, like I make comments all the time about Labour or whatever. Like never, ever, 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 ever in this life would I be horrible to somebody from Labour who knocked on my door.
0: No, but at the same time, just in case people are getting the wrong impression here, I do think it's it's important to be polite, but it's also important to be clear with people because this is the feedback the political parties get. So if, if Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil knock on my door, what I'll be saying is, thank you very much for coming. I appreciate you making the effort to come and ask my opinion and ask for my vote, but you can't have it for these three reasons, for yeah. these four reasons, you know, because I, 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 you know, I'm not happy with the situation of crime. I'm not happy with the amount of tax you're asking me to pay. I'm not happy with how you've handled immigration. And I'm not happy with how you've let the Greens run the government. Um, and please pass that back. Uh, and that's that's what I'll be saying. And then I'll say, good luck with the election. But unfortunately, it's a no from me. But but you you don't actually need to shout in their faces. Just give them... And I think that's more scary for them as well. Because, so you know... Uh, I remember talking to Fianna Fallers who were canvassing in the election that you mentioned and, and they were getting two reactions. They were getting the screaming anger which didn't bother them. But more than that, they were getting people listening in sullen silence, saying nothing, taking the leaflet and closing the door, which is actually more dispiriting uh, for a canvasser than than getting shouted at. Yes,
1: yeah, I suppose.
0: Um,
1: but, um, I just... I think, yeah, like, I mean, I'm not... I, like, I certainly don't tell people that I'm going to vote for them um, if I if I'm not. And I certainly... I'm happy to tell them what is wrong. I just think that, like, out of the two of us, I've been, you know, more subjected to that real abuse. And so I just think it's not...
0: Oh, yeah. Look, I imagine as well, you're the daughter of a politician as well. So, so, I mean, I I can imagine that when it happens, when it's your family member, it's even worse, uh, let alone your friend or whoever.
1: Mm. No, Um, well... No, for me, like, I mean, I remember canvassing a nice house in Sandy Mount when I was running and um, this man came out. I'll never forget it. I could I, I, I literally drive by the house sometimes. I, I wonder, does do they even still live there? And he like squared up to me, screaming in my face and called me the C word multiple times. And um, yeah, it was like it was it was like intense. I'm
0: way. not telling any any tales at of school here when I reveal that when you ran for election in when was it 2011, 2012, 2013 local elections? Like you were in your 20s.
1: 2009. I was 24, I think. Yeah. Um, and I knocked on this guy's door and he, and he this is the do you know what I mean? I just I think people like lose their mind a bit and I wouldn't like to think of anybody like speaking to anybody like that even if they are complete like even if they're you know completely wrong and everything they think. Hmm. Um, they're still running for election, and there's it's hard and it's hard work. And so, you know, I will I'll argue with the best of them about issues, but like you play the you play the ball, not the man or whatever. Yeah. Anyway,
0: Anyway, speaking about issues, what did you make of the crazy uh, cat lady in the UK who who put a cat in a blender and then um and then um, killed a man? I mean, this fate of women committing crimes is just getting worse and worse and worse.
1: Bitches be crazy, as they say, John. Just the girls have gone wild, haven't they?
0: Yeah. Um, I wonder
1: what it is. Is it something in the tea?
0: Well, this was yet another, uh, for those of us who don't know what we're talking about, this is yet another incident of a crime being committed by these newfangled women that they have released upon the population in the last while. Um, they, they, They come with all the usual equipment that women have, plus an extra bit. Um, and they don't and,
1: come with all the usual equipment. Sorry,
0: what? Well, back the truck up. Well, the external equipment, anyway. They're Maybe not external not, equipment. But the, the boobs in that. No, they don't. They do if they take the hormones. Okay, come on. <laughs> just take the name of our Lord in vain under your breath. I thought I heard you doing that. No, anyway. I didn't.
1: they come with all the bits except one extra bit is a sweeping generalisation that I'm not going to lay a pass and it's just factually incorrect
0: Okay, all right well we're talking of course about um, women who uh, were not born as women as such but have have taken that title upon themselves this particular case has been particularly controversial in the UK and indeed in Ireland because the media in both jurisdictions the Irish Independent being the main offenders here um, decided to report on the identity of this killer as being a woman without um, issuing any clarification to any nature that, that in fact, womankind were not responsible for releasing this individual upon the world. And it just seems to me like, it's not that the individual case bothers me, because we're used to it now. It's that, it's almost, I've got, I'm in a WhatsApp group with a a couple of guys, and I I won't give anyone a second name because they all have jobs, but you'll know who he is. Ken, Ken, uh, my friend, often says that a lot of this stuff is actually about, is, it's it's not about political correctness, it's about rubbing your nose in it. It's about saying, it doesn't matter how many times you say, that is no woman, we're going to report in the news as a matter of record that a w- woman committed this crime and there ain't a damn thing you can do about it other than cry about it in social media so you better suck it up. That's the kind of attitude that I take from from that kind of coverage which is absurdist and I, I, and I'm not even a woman um so i don't know how must how, how dispiriting it must be for genuine women to see psychopathic men being presented as women uh, and associated with horrific crimes um not to mention stabbing the man this person brutalized tortured a cat and, and and killed it by putting it in a blender um and they're being reported as a as a as a as a woman as if they you know, went to an all-girls school age four when they absolutely didn't. Um, Sorry,
1: I just think in the interest of political correctness, we should also mention that she sometimes, she has a fragmented personality, where she, which also includes sometimes being a cat, and she meowed at the jury to show how she would interact with her friends.
0: Yes. Um,
1: just in case, I wouldn't want to offend anybody by leaving. You know, I wouldn't want to aff- offend the cat-identifying community by leaving that out. Um as a woman as a woman uh I, like for well first of all as a woman i don't care because as in women commit crimes all the time like women women do stuff it's not like i don't feel personally kind of like you know insulted if somebody you know women i don't feel culpable on behalf of women when women do crimes it's just part of life that's fine i think it's more that it, it's more that this person is in my opinion, and, and and you know, obviously I'm only basing this opinion on the fact that this person clubbed a man back of the head with a vodka bottle and killed him. Also, blended up a cat me meowed at the jury or whatever uh, identifies as a cat and a woman. I'm just making it in my opinion. This person, you know, might do well from some psychological evaluations. There might be a slight psychological issue there. Mm-hmm. Um. But I don't understand how w- one psychological, you know, of all of these things that the gender dysphoria is taking precedence over everything else and why that couldn't be possibly part of an overall mental instability. If you follow what I'm trying to say, I do. And so it's 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 not that it bothers me that, you know, like at the end of the day, there will be trans people who will who will. Um, you know, there are trans people out there. I think this is more, if you're legitimately a trans person, I think that you should be more offended by this than women because it's making someone, it's 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 leading with the trans part for someone who's clearly mentally unwell.
0: Yeah, it's making that the most central part of their identity. Exactly. Um, speaking of which, did you see the, because we've never really discussed this woman on the podcast, but did you see that Irish lady who's, a, who's the, basically she's the most High-profile um, transgender surgery surgeon in the U.S. and she she's basically made herself a career for herself uh, on TikTok by uh, advertising to kids on TikTok. And I use the word kids on TikTok advisedly because it's got the youngest user age profile of all social media platforms. Like you know that she will, and I'm quoting here, eat their teeth. If they're a, if they're a girl, which means basically get rid of their boobs and then advertising bottom surgery to boys, which is getting rid of your meat and tooth veg and, and turning them inside out and so on and so forth.
1: Is this the bloke with the short hair and the eye maker?
0: No, no. This is uh, doctor. Um, oh, her name will come to me in a second. She's an Irish uh, surgeon. Oh,
1: Irish. Now, oh, there's a really creepy man. I don't. I don't know. I don't think he's transgender, but he wears eye makeup and he has short hair and he wears these earrings and he talks to kids and it's creepy. I don't like him at all. Um.
0: Well, I'm talking about Dr. Seid Gallagher, uh, uh, who's a very attractive woman in her middle 30s. She's based in Florida. She's got like over a million followers on TikTok. What she does for a living is because, as you know, there's no such thing as public health in America. It's all private, so she gets... Thousands of dollars per 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 patient, and what she does is she cuts off people's breasts and their penises and their testicles, and you know turns them into the opposite gender. And she promotes all this on her on her TikTok and her social media platforms, often with like cute little dances. You know, if you're familiar with TikTok, you'll know that like women doing cute little dances is ninety percent of the platform, and it's it's it, it, it's it's really kind of it's chilling stuff. And she did this one this week. Where she was basically listing all the complications that you can have with bottom surgery if you're a male-to-female transgender person. You know, including having to dilate yourself um, a oh, couple God. of times, a couple yes. of times a day, because your yeah. body has been wounded and it thinks it's trying to heal, and you have to stop it from healing and so on, and so forth. But like that stuff should be illegal. I'm sorry, I'm a I'm a free speech guy. I stop at advertising self harm to people.
1: Yeah, it's not a matter of free speech or not. That's a matter of, you know, again, like if I present at a doctor's surgery and say that I, I, I identify as a person with one arm, name the doctor in Ireland who would cut my arm off.
0: Well, exactly. This is it. But you know, there's this. Uh, you know, I think
1: that I, this. I think that that we're in we're in a phase of humanity where. People will look back on this kind of thing, like like, and even if, even if there are people out there who need that kind of surgery, it's the advertising of it on TikTok in a way that is—it's just disturbing. It's confusing for young people who might be confused, and you know, it's just—I don't like any of
0: it. Well, I don't well it's, it's an it's an inversion of the medical care pathway because if you think about somebody who's who's presenting with sort of the questioning their gender or whatever.
1: Which loads of children do?
0: Of course. Well there's a process you go through. You start with counseling, um, you know there's all sorts of discussions, there're various sort of ways of coping with it, coming to terms with it. The very last thing, even if you believe in gender affirming surgery as a possible solution, it's the very last solution. It's but it, to a lot of young kids, it's being marketed as the very first solution or the objective, as in your problems will go away if you just don't develop breasts. Your problems but will it's go also, away.
1: It's also marketed to their parents as a cure for suicidal ideation.
0: Yes. Um, and it's, it's toxic. Um, and it's, 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 it's so dangerous. I mean, we're not talking about people who have fully developed minds here. And and when you're when you're performing these surgeries on kids 13, 14, 15, 16 and, and receiving tens of thousands of dollars per time, I think it's I think it's about as I, I don't want to over egg the pudding here. And I'm not going to use another word, but it's, it's about as amoral an activity as I can imagine. Um, and
1: and I, I, also just from a brain development point of view, as you just touched on there, like we would say in law, you know, quite rightly that there are age limits you know before our ages before which you know boys and girls don't have the mental capacity to consent to having sex but we want them to be able to consent to changing their sex mm. that to me seems completely absurd like if you want to do something as an adult after you've you know gone to therapy and gone through a progress as you say i mean okay but young people and children and you know there's a number of um blogger uh, you know, families, one in particular that I know, they're Irish, um, Irish-American, I think. And they're one of these, you know, these like YouTube families. Yes. Where they've filmed their kids growing up and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they do vlogs. And um, one of their children has transitioned and it's been filmed and whatever. And I think it's just really
0: a worry. It's a worry when you start, you know, marketing your, your transition. Marketing I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not saying this family has. Because I, I don't know who you're talking about. Well, I am. But I, but a I, lot I of, am
1: saying that because I uh, they're on TikTok, they're on this and there's in multiple videos, you know, of this child was a boy, is now a girl. The name has changed, the clothes are girl, long hair, the whole thing. And this child, this transition of this child started when that child was under 10.
0: Yeah. Look, uh, and that child is one day going to be a 50-year-old person. His parents are going to be in the ground um, and he's going to live with the consequences of the decisions that they made. And, yeah, I I, I don't know how you sleep at night if you did that. I I can't imagine doing it to my dog. I can't imagine, like, you know, I have a female dog who occasionally humps. I can't imagine ever going to a vet and saying, you know, I think she might think she's a male dog. Can we put her through some surgery? I, I don't know how you do that to your child.
1: But I also appreciate, John, like as a parent, that, you know, if you have a child who's going through a phase of, you know, gender confusion and is you know, suicidal, whatever, you're inundated with all this information and it must be terrifying and you don't know what to do. And, you know, your child being suicidal is, I can't imagine the the, the terror on a daily basis. And then you have these doctors telling you that this will fix it. I, I think it's tragic. I think it's utterly, utterly immoral. What, 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 what some of the, what that, those doctors are doing. And I think in the future, there will be consequences.
0: Yeah, well, I, I gave I, I told you and I don't regret telling you a couple of weeks ago that you know 50, 60 years from now, people are look, gonna look back on your your on your um, octopus consumption and regard mm-hmm. you as one of the great villains of our time. But it, you got nothing on what they're gonna think of some of these doctors. Um before we and move I don't on... even
1: think it's fifty years, by the way. I think it'll be ten. Hmm. I think it'll be ten. The children who, you know, are having these kind of surgeries at a very, very young age will come of age. And there will be consequences.
0: I actually want to talk because I, I, this isn't something we, we we went through on our kind of list before we started the podcast, but it's related. What did you make of the glorification of Aaron Bushnell during the week, or did you follow that story? This is the guy who set himself on fire in in the US to protest the war in Gaza.
1: Well, yeah. So first of all, I think it's just. Uh, horrifying image and for his family and everything, just horrifying. I think it's really weird the way the message is kind of portrayed, like he's you know, that he's done something noble. I think for vulnerable people, that's not the message you would should send.
0: No, it's horrendous. I mean, and I'm not going to comment on his political views. I'm not going to comment on the war in Gaza in any way. He and I probably have a slightly different take on it, but I'm not going to come that because it's not important. Because honest to goodness, if this guy had gone to a Palestinian consulate and set himself on fire in order to urge Hamas to surrender, I'd say the same thing. You yeah. don't glorify that stuff. You don't say, well done. You don't say, I mean, this is, this is basic suicide reporting 101. And the people saying this guy is some kind of hero have no idea the message they are sending to other lonely, vulnerable kids. Out there, and I say "kid" not because this person was under eighteen, but because he was clearly quite young and immature. Like there is no there is no problem in the world which is going to be solved by you setting yourself in petrol and and, and setting yourself on fire. And in fact, were it to, and this is, I sometimes get in trouble um, for saying this kind of thing because a lot of people in Ireland are very fond of the memory of the hunger strikers and so on. And like, I, I get the respect for what those people did, but at the same time. If a government gives in to that kind of thing, whether it be the Israeli government, the Irish government, the British government, the American government, they are encouraging more people in future to do that, um, which is is not good in the long term. If you, if you say to people that harming yourself is a way to change public policy, whether it be in Israel, the United States, Canada, wherever, um, and you legitimize that and say, well, now we have to change public policy, then you're inviting more people to take that course of action when they object to something. So... Um, I just think it's—I think it's horrendous, and I think those people who've been saying that this guy's a hero should be ashamed of himself, frankly.
1: No, he's the too good. For the, he's too good for this world, and he's. We're, yeah, it was. It's it's a weird way to report something.
0: I guarantee, I guarantee you, when when those flames started to burn, he had second thoughts about what he did. There is no doubt in my mind about that, and now he's dead, and it's not a pleasant way to die. No. Rather um, not think about it. Anyway, we—I um, see some breaking news this evening. Um, as we wind up this podcast, uh, that your old political party Fianna Fáil is adopting what I consider to be a very interesting electoral strategy in the constituency of Midlands Northwest. Um, having elected Barry Cowan as their candidate at the convention, they're now adding not one but two other candidates. Are Fianna Fáil going to take three seats in Midlands Northwest. Um, if you haven't seen, they are adding Senator Lisa Chambers and Senator Niall Blaney the tickets up there. What do you make of that?
1: Well, first of all, what I make of it is that it's that they had a convention a couple of weeks ago where three candidates ran for a space in the ticket and then they just added the other two anyway. So what a complete and utter waste of time and energy having a convention in the first place. Mm. Um, I would say that Barry Cowan is rightly fuming as a result. Um, But the thing, the problem with that constituency and Fianna Fáil have lost out the last time on it it's massive. Like it's massive. And so yeah. I think that they're probably what they're trying to do is kind of, you know, spread themselves and and, and then, you know, transfer back the, the, you know, the second and third transfer back and get one elected. Problem is that I just don't really think that transfers work like they used to. I mean, back in the day, the the olden day, the, the olden days when I was a kid and used to tally. At um elections and stuff, um in the RDS and other places, the transfer rate from one Fianna of candidate to another used to be really good. Yep. And I'm not sure that people vote quite like that anymore. Um, like I didn't think about my own vote, and like I don't know if you find this. Um, but you know, people vote for much more. I think a much wider range of reasons these days and I think they vote for people more and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there for example and I wouldn't disagree with them by the way who really really like Lisa Chambers for example she's smart she's articulate you know we I know her personally obviously um you know we're not on the same page on lots of issues we're on the same page on others but she's a good person she's a hard worker I think a lot of people probably really like her but that doesn't mean that they vote number two for Niall Blaney or Barry Gowne and it, you know what I mean? And then there's also lots of people who really like Barry. I don't know Niall Blaney at all. I don't think I've ever met him, but I know Barry, Barry Cowan well. Um, he's also a good candidate, so I'm sure there's people who vote for him, really like him, um, but not Lisa and all that. So I don't think kind of inter-party thing happens as much anymore. And so I think that this could end up being a situation that blows up in their face spectacularly, and they get nothing again. And I think that that Strategy will be to blame, and I think Barry Cowan, who actually won that convention, should be rightly annoyed if that's what happens.
0: Yeah, well, you should be annoyed if you're a Fianna Fáil member if you're if you're dragged to I don't know Mullingar. I don't know where the convention was, but let's assume it was somewhere in the middle of the constituency. So let's say it was in Mullingar and asked to vote for a candidate, and then it, makes, it turns out that your 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 vote made no difference at all. It's kind of a metaphor for Eoin Martin's leadership in Fianna Fáil, really, isn't
1: it? Well, absolutely. I mean, like. Um- since, since one member, one vote was introduced and they, had, they you know, they've had multiple conventions and then they have um, the electoral, um, uh, whatever it's called, the election committee or the organization committee or whatever it's called, this secret committee of people who, if the members who all pay 20 euro a year to be members to get their one member, one vote, if they make the wrong decision, the electoral committee just won't do it anyway. So well done. Well, it's literally me, a microcosm of exactly what's wrong, which is that the members just get ignored
0: anyway. Well, for me, it's not, I mean, this was summed up the in the abortion referendum, uh, mm-hmm. like and and uh, no difficulty with with I don't agree with the parties who campaigned for a yes vote, obviously, but they did and they won and so on and so forth. But there was a Fianna fall Ardesh about three or four months before that referendum, and the Ardesh voted that Fianna Fáil should oppose the referendum and campaign for a no vote, and Michal Martin literally just ignored it and took the exact opposite position. Now, if you're a member of a political party and you pay your membership fees and you, you're told that the rd is what makes policy or a convention is what selects candidates, like, you, you're a mug. You're, mm. you're an eejit. You're given the money to be ignored. Um, and look, I, I don't think it needs me to tell people that Fianna Fáil's strategy to attracting voters over the last 15 years or so hasn't really. I mean, they've gone from 40% in the polls to 15% in the polls, so it's not exactly working for them, but you know, they seem determined to stick with it. Um, I, I think, if you want my opinion on this three-candidate strategy, I think it's nuts. I mean, they may they may well get one seat, but if they just got everyone who says they're voting Fianna Fáil to vote for one candidate, they get one seat anyway. Um, so obviously, they, they're not confident that they can do that.
1: I mean you'd have to think that there's some kind of thinking behind it that they'll dilute other people's votes by putting candidates in certain constituencies um and maybe maybe that's a strategy but um I think it's an unusual one I don't think I don't think it's necessarily you know, completely outlandish to have three candidates if it's a thought-out strategy. But I don't think understand why you bother to waste everybody's time having a convention and make a mockery of the whole thing and the candidates and the fact that the candidates rang, you know, rang people and canvassed for that con- for that convention. Did the you know the tea and biscuit circuit? I'm sure uh, rang delegates all over. All of those counties and did a big, huge, you know, tour of the place to try and get elected at a convention, and then just to be for the three of them, the three people who ran the convention to all be on the ticket anyway seems like a complete joke.
0: Yeah, it is. Uh, Speaking of that constituency, uh, Luke Ming Flanagan got some great news during the week when uh, his former assistant Dermot Hayes was uh, convicted in a Belgian court of sending the infamous tweet about another former candidate in that constituency, Sirisha McHugh. Um. So that was, I think, for Luke's re-election prospects, probably a well-timed court case.
1: Well, um, I have to say, I'm one of the people who have to suck eggs a little bit on this because I thought that his initial kind of, oh, it wasn't me, it was the one-armed man kind of vibe was funny and laughable, and it wasn't him. So.
0: Look, look, and, and, and this point was made in the court, and it was made by Luke Minklanica, and and you don't need to suck eggs because everybody, I promise you, Anyone who says that they believed 100% from the start that he, when he said he was hacked, he was telling the truth, is fitting. Because I didn't believe it. I, now, I, I wrote a piece in which I was very careful to leave open the possibility that that was true, because mm. that was just the prudent thing to do. But I, I, I'll be honest, I didn't believe it. Uh, my private view was that this was what every politician says. And he said that in court. He said the reason this was so damaging was... When he said he was hacked, he knew everyone would believe that that's just what politicians say when they've been caught doing something embarrassing. And I thought he made a very good point when he refused to accept your man's apology. That he would have accepted the apology had he come forward within a day or two and said this was me, it wasn't Luke Maniggan. But he yeah. didn't. He didn't. Yeah. He let he let it he let it lie, and he let... he let, um And the other thing is, he made a very, another very good point, which was that the damage to him was one thing, but the damage to his kids and to his family, and potentially. To his marriage or relationship, like it was a it was a a really dastardly thing to do, um, and it might yeah. be funny to everybody else, but it's not very funny if it happens to you. So
1: no, and I mean I definitely like when I was when I was reading about this this week, I re- I definitely felt like huge, and I you know I wouldn't be a uh, Luke Ming planning and you know person, but I felt a lot of compassion for him because it must have been absolutely horrifying because you know you didn't do it. yeah. And, you know, you wake up or whatever and there's all these messages or notifications or whatever and you know you didn't do it and it's kind of one of those situations where like you're like, but it's going to look like, no matter what I say, it's going to look like, well of course I'd say that.
0: Uh, and of course, I mean, it, it's, it's a matter of public record that himself and Searsha McHugh who was the Politician, the 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 message, the fake message was basically that he was searching searching for naked pictures of Sirisha McHugh. That was his friend. Can you imagine how you'd feel if you woke up in the morning and there was a tweet on my account saying naked pictures Sarah Ryan? Like mm-hmm. our friendship would be damaged. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like, there's another element to it too. It's it was it was really horrible, just on a personal level. And, and I want to reiterate, I would have absolutely nothing in common politically with either Luke Ming or Sirisha McHugh, but. I'm glad they got justice in that respect. Um, because...
1: No, and it's but it's important. It's important because you know, like there, there, there will be people who, like in this case, who didn't write the thing, didn't do the thing, and that you know they deserve their they deserve their their to be kind of vindicated for that. So, mm-hmm. um, I'm happy for him. I think he he deserved his day. That must have been incredibly stressful yes because every single person you say oh i was hacked to is going to secretly be thinking yeah right
0: yeah exactly all right um and just fyi if you ever do see that message on my account i was hacked um (laughs) so that's (laughs) just saying it right
1: like way to give way to give the hacker the perfect thing to write john
0: yeah well yeah there you go who knows um, all right, look, we'll leave it there for another week. Um, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. I hope the audio was much improved this week, um, but you can let us know if it wasn't. and We will aim to increase our customer satisfaction. Uh, as ever, thanks a million for all the comments you send us every week, uh, which are mostly supportive. And we don't read out the supportive ones because there's not really any point in reading out a list of messages of people saying how great we are. But we're thrilled with the listenership and we're th- thrilled that so many of you are getting value from this. So until next week, from Sarah and from myself, that was another edition of The Week That Really Was, and we'll see you in a week's time.